Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'll be your guys. We explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Water. Did you ever stop to think just how important water is to your everyday life? From health, sanitation, and nutrition to transportation, recreation, and cultural identity, water is just as important today as it has been for countless people for generations. Whether it's the Mississippi River, the Missouri River, or the endless list of rivers, creeks, ponds, lakes, and even fountains that dot Missouri's landscape, this series is all about water. So with that, let's dive right in to water and waterways. To conclude the water and waterway series, I want to focus on a subject that's been on my mind since 2019. In 2019, I was in Clinton, Missouri for an oral history and it arrived early to get familiar with the town. While walking through the courthouse square, I came across what appeared to be a fountain with a plaque that read, quote, 1911 presented by the National Humane Alliance, Herman Lienson founder, end quote. I was intrigued by the fountain and curious about how it got there. But as often happens, you know, I went along with the oral history and forgot all about it. Flash forward to 2021, and I was again on the road for another oral history, and this time came across a nearly identical fountain in Maryville, Missouri. Now, my curiosity as a historian was truly piqued, and with the development of the Water and Waterway series, I decided to look into the history behind these two fountains and perhaps many more. While the plaque on these respective fountains referenced the early 20th century, my jumping off point was an editorial in the Kansas City Star on the, quote, battle of long ago, end quote. As the editorial read, quote, as the old gray mare is replaced on our city streets by motor cars of matador red, seafoam green, and other gay colors, one hot weather problem which used to agitate many Kansas Cityans has been forgotten. That is the proper watering of horses in the business district. Although it seems rather remote now, 40 years ago, there was 65,000 horses in Kansas City, and the problems became a major issue, verbally at least. While the argument raged, it took many turns, but generally speaking, the line of battle was drawn between those favoring the open fountain and the advocates of the bucket fountain. Sanitation was the big point of the bucket supporters. A good bucket fountain reduced the dangers of glanders, it was said, while an open fountain was a germ breeder and a disease spreader. Not so, shouted the other side, and anyway, the point was to get these horses watered. In any given period, 20 times as many horses could get a good drink from an open fountain as from a bucket fountain. Our sturdy advocate of the open fountain stood in the boiling sun one Saturday afternoon at 4th and Broadway and counted 216 teams pulling heavy loads up the long hill from the Union Depot, then in the West Bottoms. Only 31 drivers stopped at the two bucket fountains, he said. It would have been a different story if the big open fountain had not been removed. But before the controversy was solved to the satisfaction of everyone, the watering trough, both open and bucket fountains, had been replaced by the filling station, and the local population sank back to await another issue, end quote. To learn more about these Kansas City water wars in their broad context of the Missouri River and the city of Kansas City, check out part five in this series of the Miami Air. For our focus today, we'll turn to the creator of these so-called Ensign Fountains, Herman Lee Ensign. Born in Pennsylvania about a decade before the Civil War, Ensign spent much of his early life on the East Coast, where he was involved 
deeply in advertising humanitarianism and philanthropy. He founded the National Humane Alliance in 1896 and quickly set about to promote humanitarian issues through the Humane Alliance. A late 1890s advertisement in the Springfield, Missouri newspaper noted that, quote, the organ of the National Humane Alliance, devoted to the cause of humanity and inculcated in the law of kindness, invaluable in every farmer's family where children are being reared and educated in order that they may imbib early in life correct ideas in regards to cruelty in all its forms, end quote. Having amassed a large fortune through his advertising business, Ensign hoped to provide funds for the causes near and dear to him. When he died in 1899, he bequeathed a sizable donation for the establishment of animal drinking fountains in communities across the United States. In between 1900 and 1915, the National Humane Alliance worked to enact Ensign's vision. Now, to earn these fountains, however, communities had to abide by key rules set down by the National Humane Alliance. First, while the fountain was shipped free of charge from a quarry in Maine, the town did have to provide the land and foundation for the fountain, as well as ensure the management of water lines and its continual upkeep. Second, communities also had to show a commitment to water access by constructing and updating their own fountains. Many communities eagerly signed on to these conditions, but some, like St. Joseph, Missouri, questioned the long-term price tag. As one St. Joseph City official noted, the foundation of the Ensign Fountain alone cost as much as a regularly used iron drinking fountain at the same time. Additionally, Louis Seaver, the National Humane Alliance's secretary and treasurer, made a site visit to ensure that community leaders understood Ensign's vision and the need to care and maintain for the fountains. If plans are not satisfactory to Seaver, he could halt the project altogether or even deny future fountains to that community. Nevertheless, Missourians, including those in St. Joseph, were eager to convince the National Humane Alliance to ship a fountain to their community. Efforts to establish the first instant fountain in Missouri began in 1907 when both St. Joseph and Kansas City's humane societies petitioned for consideration for their respective communities. Louis Seaver soon scheduled meetings with city officials to determine the viability of the fountain plans. St. Joseph requested a fountain to sit outside the newly renovated Pate Market near 10th and Olive Streets, while Kansas City notified Seaver that it wanted two fountains, one at 4th and Broadway in Kansas City, Missouri, and one at 4th and Minnesota Avenue in Kansas City, Kansas. By the end of the summer of 1907, both communities had their fountains delivered, with Kansas City, Missouri dedicating its instant fountain with speeches with the acting mayor, members of the police board, art commission, board of education, Women's Christian Temperance Union, and the Teamsters Union. The instant fountain at 4th and Broadway was celebrated during its dedication, but it quickly became a lightning rod of controversy. While Edgar T. Cutter noted in his 1913 Kansas City Star article that the fountain sat where, quote, tons of freight passed that corner daily, end quote, humane society officials worried about the fountain's lack of use by the merchants and laborers guiding their wagon teams through the area around the West Bottoms. The instant fountain was one of many water distribution fountains that sat unused by water teams as humane officer H.O. Fullen found that roughly 15% of drivers stopped their teams to offer them water on a single day. Humane society members soon took to stopping drivers and teams near city fountains and demanding information as to why they had not stopped for water. A few years later, the Humane Society even went so far as to organize the construction of horse showers to offer water to passing teams. The move by drivers to keep their animals away from the fountains was influenced by many factors, central among them the concerns about infectious disease. When city officials moved to cut the water supply to several fountains in Kansas City, the Humane Society and National Humane Alliance protested the action. When Louis Seaver investigated the matter, he found that the Ensign Fountain at 4th and Broadway had been altered to now include additional pipes and faucets. Horrified by the alterations to the fountain, Seaver declared that Kansas City would never again receive a new Ensign Fountain, 
In response to Seaver's objections, the Association of Veterinarians and the Team Owners Organization issued a public statement defending the ruling of Atwell Bird, the city veterinarian, and the Board of Fire and Water to close the city fountains until they could be properly updated. Quote, in order that the public and especially the members of the Humane Society may understand this matter, we beg to advise that these fountains were closed at the request of the Veterinarian Association and the Team Owners Organization. The object was to check the infectious disease known as glanders, which was spreading at a rapid rate. Extreme measures had to be taken at once. To prove the wisdom of the move, statistics show a decrease of 70% in the death of horses over the same period last year when the fountains were open. Certainly, these organizations are in perfect sympathy with the Humane Society and appreciate their efforts to save the horses and welcome any suggestion for their betterment. It may not be known by the general public that the disease of glanders is that not only fatal in every case, but that the animals so infected must, under the state law, be killed as soon as the disease is manifest. With the facts made known, we trust that the public will approve of the action of the Fire and Water Commissioners in closing these fountains at the, at the request of the organizations mostly interested in the welfare of the horse. It was only after a long conference and proof beyond question that the spreading of the disease was due to the infection at the fountains that the request was sent to the Fire and Water Commissioners." End quote. The debate over open fountains, faucets, and buckets continued for the next several months before the Kansas City Humane Society and the Kansas City Team Owners Organization reached an agreement amicable to both parties. All open-running horse fountains, except for two recently improved models, would be shut down immediately. Additionally, all new fountains serving animals would henceforth be bucket fountains. The decision seemingly ensured that water would continue to flow for thirsty animals, but by 1913, Humane Society officials recorded the precipitous drop in water access by drivers and teams and asked residents to consider, quote, the horse's point of view, end quote. In discussing Kansas City's thirst, Edward T. Cutter noted that both instant fountains still sat in their original homes, but only the one at 4th and Minnesota on the west side was still functioning as the 4th and Broadway fountain had been deemed, quote, unsanitary, end quote. At the same time that Kansas City debated the merits of its instant fountains, other communities worked to emulate their in-state neighbors. Intrigued by St. Joseph's success in securing its own fountain, Springfield officials wrote to the city to inquire about the application process, though it does not appear that the efforts were successful in the end. Cameron in Clinton County soon followed and received its own fountain at 3rd and Chestnut Street in 1910. After a successful visit by Louis Sevier in 1911, not long after he had declared Kansas City would never again receive an incense fountain, Maryville placed its new fountain at the northeast corner of the courthouse square. While other communities had seemingly sped through the application process, Clinton, Missouri lagged behind in being awarded its incense fountain. Between 1910 and 1912, the local Humane Society spoke to city leaders and the National Humane Alliance officials to get the go-ahead for their plans. Finally, after the city announced plans to erect two new drinking fountains, the National Humane Alliance approved Clinton's granite fountain. All three new fountains dotted the courthouse square with the instant fountain sitting in the southwest corner and the drinking fountains at the southeast and northwest corners. When the shipment of the instant fountain arrived at the Frisco station in the winter of 1912, city officials waited until the spring before erecting it. At its May 1913 dedication, Reverend Ralph Wakefield of the First Methodist Church called on attendees to have, quote, a deeper, a more spontaneous sympathy, not only for a man's four-footed friends, but especially for the birds, end quote. The estimated crowd of 1,000 then watched as Charles H. Whitaker of the Clinton Daily Democrat newspaper and Kate McLean of the local Humane Society lifted a large American flag to reveal the fountain. Now, you might be asking yourself, can I visit these fountains today? Well, the answer is, well, complicated. The lifespans of these respective instant fountains can be difficult to track. 
However, if you have a Facebook account, you can join a group called, quote, National Humane Alliance Fountains, end quote, which provides historical information and restoration updates on various instant fountains around the United States. And since this is a podcast on Missouri, here's some updates on the Show Me States Fountains. To say that the automobile changed American life would be an understatement. To quote country Western musician Jerry Reed, quote, Lord, Mr. Ford, what have you done, end quote. Just as the automobile provided new opportunities and new headaches for many Americans, so too did it offer problems for the instant fountains. Typically constructed in the middle of busy intersections, it was not uncommon for these fountains to sustain damage from animals and from automobiles. Such was the case of St. Joseph's Fountain, which suffered through several automobile accidents during its lifespan along 10th Street by Patay Market. By World War II, the fountain had been dismantled and its pieces dispersed to unknown locations. Similarly, Clinton's Fountain was removed from its third and Chestnut Street location in 1925 to make way for what the Cameron Sun described as a, quote, electronically operated traffic cop, end quote. In Kansas City, the respective east side and west side fountains moved around the bi-state area. After it was disconnected from the water supply, the east side fountain moved from Swope Park to St. Joseph Hospital and finally to an apartment complex. The West Side Fountain had a few less moves as it was transferred to Northern Kansas City, Kansas, before being purchased by the Wyandotte County Historical Society and moved to its present location in the Wyandotte County Park in Bonner Springs, Kansas. In Clinton, they held on to their fountain just a little bit longer. In 1919, the Henry County Democrats still found the city's animal fountain useful, noting that a recent visit by a Model T showed that even in the courthouse square, the driver could use the water for its radiator. Yet a few years later, city officials decided that automobiles and horses only needed so many fountains and not the three that occupied the courthouse square. The Ensign Fountain remained despite having been damaged in 1921 by a runaway wagon team and relocated, while the other two became large flower bases at Inglewood Cemetery. When the city decided to repave the northwest corner of the square in 1927, the fountain was moved again to the southeast corner. Since the late 1920s, the fountain has remained in the southeast corner, though it went through several years without water, particularly when the WPA work in the Henry County Courthouse shut off the water line. The Clinton Beautification Association restored the fountain in 1965. In Maryville, their instant fountain started at 4th and Market before being moved to the southeastern edge of Northwest Missouri State Teachers College, now Northwest Missouri State University, where it sat for several decades. In the 1960s, efforts began to restore the old fountain, with members of the Alpha Phi Omega fraternity conducting research on the fountain, and members of the art department set to work recasting the missing lion's heads that had once been a feature of the fountain. In 1970, the fountain was relocated to the eastern entrance of the administration building on Northwest Campus, and 50 years later, the fountain has a new home. If you visit Maryville today, you will find a small park at the corner of 3rd and Main Street that features the fountain. And such is the history of Missouri's instant fountains. Be sure to check out the fountains that still stand in various communities today, and be sure to check out the National Humane Alliance Fountains Facebook page for more information on the stories behind the fountains that still dot the American landscape. And with that, we'll raise a glass of water to the Water and Waterway series. Be sure to check out the summer series on the National Women in Media Collection, which premieres in summer 2022. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.